Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Hey everyone, today it's just Luke and I, and we have a fun, very fun little game that we made up and we're all pumped up because we just did a bunch of reels. Okay, just two, but it felt like a bunch because Luke was dancing all over the office. Were you not? Admit that's, it. Hun. That's true. Mm-hmm. It definitely was. That was a good time. Yeah. We um, if you just listen to our podcast and don't follow us on social, we post our reels, our little videos of fun everywhere. So find us on Instagram and Facebook. Those are our biggest platforms. Um, but yeah, we teach and share goodness through those little sound bites, even though they're ridiculously silly. And and short. And short, right. But that's like the new wavelength of the brain that everyone just wants like 10 seconds. They don't yeah. want to like old book anymore. You can and you know how to make those those little clips have a punch. Yeah. Yes. You're a of, fantastic actor. And it's it's good to apply. I yeah, I know, right? Benjamin Franklin play. <laughs> <laughs> back in fourth grade you didn't know what was coming for you I didn't back, no I couldn't have that was a traumatic experience you're redeeming it now through the thousands of strangers who watch your, your ridiculous dancing on screen yeah never to guess I, I hated going to dances as a kid too yeah that too wow never. you're just transformed transformed so that's like the message of flourish if you want to be able to dance on screen like a fool <laughs> come talk to me i can teach you how <laughs> healing is so available that's right oh my gosh um it's fun yes it is so today this is going to be equally as fun i hope you all enjoy it we're going to do a game that we call brand new hot off the press the modality mashup and if you're watching the YouTube video, you can see I have this beautiful little chalice um, of little notes. Does anyone wonder what's in these notes? Well, I will tell you. We're going to just start and you will see what this game is all about. So Luke doesn't know what's in this um, chalice. I do. And I'm going to pick two. Okay. So here's one. I don't, I can't see them. So they're totally random. And I'm going to read them and Luke is going to jump in on the spot, (laughs) no preparation, and share how these two modalities are interconnected and how they can can, um, complement each other and cross over where the crossover lies. According to my experience, my my knowledge and my skill set. Yes, totally. You're not a scientist. You did not create these theories. You are a practitioner who uses them. Uh, and we use them in therapy and it's, they're amazing. We love them, but yes, you don't have to have like some refined answer on this. Right. Um, That's not the and, point of this. It's just yeah, see it's how just these right. things can be used yeah, in session to totally. us. Right. And I think a lot of people know about like one or two modalities, but they don't know the rest. So this will kind of be like a uh, time to get to know like different pathways of healing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it'll be exciting yeah. for us to So the first two, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, 
neuroscience. Okay. My cursive is crap. Number two, EMDR. Well, that one's kind of easy because EMDR is neuroscience. It's based off of neuroscience. Um, So EMDR is a trauma healing modality. uh, The function of it is using uh, bilateral stimulation, which is similar to REM sleep where your eyes are moving back and forth. And so that side to side movement is called bilateral stimulation. Um, And they have found that that bilateral stimulation activates both sides of the brain and helps integrate um, traumatic events and experiences. And so uh, the neuroscience behind it is trauma, when trauma happens, um, a lot of times we don't have integration of that experience. So a lot of times we have like an implicit memory or our body remembers, but we don't have language or meaning. And so what they found out is that bilateral stimulation when targeting a neuro, a trauma neural network helps your brain to break down the wall that was caused by the trauma that stops your brain, the emotional side of your brain and the language side of your brain talking to each other so that there's um, a safety and an understanding and a meaning um, that goes along with that trauma experience. So the neuroscience shows it. So EMDR uses that neuroscience information to kind of hijack your brain to help um, find integrate, help uh, facilitate integration and healing of trauma, traumatic um, experiences. And that can be one event or a um, series of events. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating. Yeah, that was, that was a perfect pairing. That was, that was not hard. A good one to warm me up for. Yeah, seriously. Okay. So those are back in the chalice and we're going to go for two more because any pairs, you know, anything can match. Um, that called in math when there's like multiple, I don't know, that's not in my wheelhouse, but multiple different um, scenarios we could have here. Yes. So now this is interesting. <laughs> I just picked the exact two. Oh, wow. The same ones. What are the odds of that probability? Okay, that's weird. I'm We're gonna try mathemat- that. A mathematician could tell us. Yeah, they could. Which is outside of our wheelhouse again. It is, yeah. Okay, so polyvagal regulation okay. mm-hmm. is going to be um, one modality that we give, that we offer right now. Oh my goodness, this one really likes my hand. EMDR. Okay. So how do EMDR and regulation um, intersect and complement one another? Well, um, how I would use this and where I would see this happening is during EMDR, we're doing trauma work. So it's a lot of times there is um, dysregulation that comes up in this in the EMDR process, mm-hmm. um, which is why one reason why the first part of our our um, packages, the three month package, we have everybody that starts go through is that nervous system regulation, and that follows up by EMDR. And the reason why we do that is because EMDR can be very dysregulating to our nervous system, so it's very important to understand what your nervous system's doing what it needs and how to meet that need. So if you get triggered or um, have a panic attack or anxiety attack or 
uh, dissociate during EMDR, if you know um, um, polyvagal, then you can understand, okay, you're going to shut down or you're going into sympathetic states and what your body needs there is safety. So EMDR also, um, how you resource before you start EMDR is you have a, you create a container and a secure place so that and the secure place is, goes there, is there to help you go to a, a secure place to find uh, safety, um, feel safe enough, regulation, peace, um, groundedness, and the container. And is this the actual place? I'm being the devil's advocate yeah. so people can. No, it's or not an actual it place. It's an imaginary place that you create. And the reason for that is also so, to help with the nervous system is so it doesn't get that secure place doesn't become tainted by people or experiences. So it helps it stay secure. Um, and the container is a place where you take these emotions, these sem sensations, and if they're too overwhelming, you kind of put them in this container to address them another time and help with regulation. And you're listening to your body of, oh, we're scared of this. Uh, this is too much. So let's just take what we can't handle, put it to the side. We're acknowledging it. We're respecting it. We're honoring it. But we're just asking those sensations to uh, take a break. Yeah. yeah. And so that's all for the purpose of regulating your nervous system. So up, cool. Upregulate while doing EMDR. Awesome job. Thank you. You're rocking this game. I folded them all really small so that my hands, because I don't know which ones say what, but my hands seem to. So I want to trick my brain a little bit and try to pull out two different ones. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Drum roll. IFS. Okay. There's a newbie. And which one is it going to be with? IFS and neuroscience. Ooh, okay. this one's a little bit tricky. I like it. So IFS and neuroscience, that is tricky, um, but I'll do my best to try to help it make sense um, in a mashup. Um, so IFS uses like neuroscience information of um, understanding trauma and what your brain does. So like when a traumatic experience happens, you adapt and um, learn new skills to get your needs met. And what IFS does is helps give language and externalize those adaptations to take away from the shame um, and gives language to those because in IFS you have um, protectors there's managers and firefighters. And so a lot of the firefighters kind of get a bad rap. Um, and so they're kind of bringing shame, they're like addictions, um, dissociation, and so a lot of those. And so neuroscience, we know that that happens, um, shows us when that happens. Um, and IFS helps you understand the purpose of it. So it's not like, oh, he's just an addict. It's, oh, there's a part of him that is getting afraid. It's hard not to explain it all, see the connection without 
going too much into IFS, but basically there's an, an IFS, there's an exile, which is a wound or a fear that doesn't want to be felt. So the firefighters and the managers try to stop, would try to stop me from feeling insecure. And so if, so they, the manager helps me have a persona or have be seen as competent so I don't feel insecure with the people around me. If I were to mess up and I felt insecure, a firefighter may come in and help me dissociate, help me um, maybe make somebody else feel bad so it gets the tension off of me. Um, maybe um, it would help somebody, somebody would start drinking then or want to get high. Um, and so it helps, and then this is all happening neurochemically, the seeking um, that dopamine hit, the adrenaline hit, um, shutting down. And so, and this just helps, IFS gives a language to understand what's going on in your brain. So that again, kind of like, I might explain this more, but like EMDR, it helps integrate those different parts. Um, there's just different language that is used in IFS and EMDR, but uh, the whole goal is to integrate that part into self. Um, and self is the part of us that's unhindered by trauma um, and has that out positive, optimistic look. And these other protectors are kind of more hesitant and on guard. And we want those sometimes, like we've shared also with alarm systems, we want those to go off, just not all the time. So we help those protectors know that they're valuable and learn when to do their job and when not to. So that's a, a mouthful, but. Yeah, and I think you did well. That's that's a really complicated thing to, to explain. Um, the parts are sub-personalities of us. Right. And that's such a unique way. That's such a unique, um, that's the uniqueness of IFS is that it's not just um, this cognitive understanding of the neurobiology. It's like very humanizing yeah. to understand yes. that these parts are real parts of you. Mm -hmm. um, they're considered sub-personalities or sub, um, um, they're, they're considered to have very distinct needs, yep. uh, histories, <laughs> desires, and uh, yes. adaptations. <laughs> And, but it's all you. It yeah. is distinct from DID, um, yeah. multiple personality disorder. That's not what IFS is teaching. However, no, it's um, but, but DID kind of is an extreme form of right, IFS. Burdened parts. And yeah. IFS is not familiar to a lot of people, so that's why it's, I'm trying to explain it without going into too much, spending too much time here. Um, but you, you're right. Um, like we all use that language, like. Do you want to go eat there? Well, kind of, but not really. Like right there is language of parts. Part of me wants to go there and part of me doesn't. Yep. And there's a reason why part of you wants to go there and reason why there's part it doesn't. Or part reason why uh, we are a people pleaser and there's a reason why there's a part of us that hates that we are a people pleaser. Right. And, and so the people pleasing is beneficial in one perspective, but it's also hurting us in another. And so it's identifying those parts and getting to know what their job is, 
what their goals are and seeing that their goal is good, is to help us, but it's not always the best approach. And self helps that part learn what is a better approach and invites them to support self rather than being out on their own. So yeah. that one is complicated and it's less familiar, but it's yeah. really, really good, uh, helpful. I've really enjoyed getting familiar with it. So if you want to know more about IFS, we have an episode with Christine Dixon of the Ordinary Sacred. Um, it's called Learning Your Parts, Learning About Your Parts. So go ahead and check She's that amazing. out. She breaks that down um, really well for you. It is a more complicated modality at first to wrap your mind around, but once you see it, you can't unsee it in yourself and other people. It's just like, wow, yep. these parts are at play. And uh, it's, it, it's, yeah, I'll yeah. hold that one. You want to you want to say so much. So much. We're big uh, IFS fans. In the last few years, it's become a really meaningful modality for us, and um, one that we're using more and more at Flourish. So, okay, the next two. Here we have two more. In the modality mashup. Wow, neuroscience. <laughs> this is like a joke. Okay, you know I'm gonna take some out. We've already done. Okay. Just, if we've done them several times. A little redundant, yeah. yeah. Okay, so story work, okay. and what else? Story work in IFS. Right. I was thinking that this would be a good one to go with story work, so I can talk a little bit more about story about IFS too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so story work is the idea of um, there's an event that we have experienced. And a lot of times it's not processed. So story work is allowing you to write out the story um, and find safety now where you didn't find safety before in, this, in the event. And so here where it's really good for IFS is in these stories, a lot of parts come up. There's a part that was scared. There's a part that was angry. There's a part that judges that little kid. There's a part that judges the person that harmed you. And so it really helps lay out, um, can bring to forefront a lot of the parts that have been activated. And also it allows you to see how you have adapted based on this, this event. Um, what messages did you bring up? Because you're going to learn that as you talk to the parts and what their goals are, you're going to find out um, how you've adapted, um, how have you adapted proactively with a manager, and how do you adapt reactively with a firefighter, um, and also what exile was created there, what emotion, what feeling, what sensation has your body said it is no longer okay for you to feel, and from what have that, you, that story. From, the, from that story, and um, what steps have you taken to protect the exile from being mm. felt? So that yeah. one, that, that one blends well together or yeah, mashes up, sure. mashes well. Mash, mash. <laughs> yeah, great, great explanation. Okay, so um, regulation. Yeah. Uh, when we say regulation, um, the main modality behind that is the polyvagal theory. Regulation and attachment, that's a that's oh, a home run right there. That's that's like a a glove. Yeah, it sure is. Um 
So attachment is the foundation of regulation. When we can't learn how to self-regulate unless we've been attached to, I've learned secure attachment. So yeah. our, the goal is as a baby, our parents attune and, um, and their nervous system, regulated nervous system, co-regulates our, our nervous system or dysregulated nervous system. And our nervous system learns that relationship is safe and then mm -hmm. builds the tools um, to self-regulate based on what they've experienced, that the world is safe, people are safe, relationships are there for you. Um, it's okay to be have needs. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Relationship is going to be there. Um, so when there's attachment, a healthy attachment, you're, you are able to regulate. Um, your window of tolerance of regulation is bigger. Um, you're able to enter into dysregulation and, and back into regulation a lot easier. Um, and you're just a lot more resourced. Okay. So um, if you find that you're a little bit more easily dysregulated, um, attachment is a good place to start of looking at um, where do I find safety in relationship or do I find safety in relationship? Yes. So that's a, that one's that's a very closely for sure and and we've um kind of theorized and um this is talked about a bit um out there in the out there world of content of just how there's really quite the um parallel between attachment styles and states mm -hmm. and so our our take on working with people and learning ourselves is that uh, a securely attached person generally spends most of their time in safe and social or ventral, which is that, that regulated state of the polyvagal system. And then a anxiously attached person tends to spend uh, more of their time in that sympathetic state of the polyvagal yep. um, theory. And then, yeah, theory. Um, and then the person who is more avoidantly attached is tends to again these are just patterns but they seem they seem pretty um yep. significant mm -hmm. the person who is um avoidantly what did i just attached. avoidantly, avoidantly attached, spends more time in shutdown in, in shutdown yep and then potentially even the person who is anxiously avoidantly attached anxious avoidant so that's the combination of the two insecure styles making the third insecure style um that might spend more time in freeze, which is that state, that blended state in polyvagal theory of sympathetic and shutdown. So they kind of uh, oscillate between the two. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot of evidence that just shows that in people's yeah. how their regulation capacity works. And, and like you were saying, like the anxious attached is in sympathetic. So they're looking to, they're fighting for connection. What do I need to do? Am I safe? Is there a threat? How can I find safety? Where do I need to go? How do I need to behave? So they're always that hypervigilance and shutdown is like, relationship is hopeless. No one's going to love me. No one's going to be there for me. No one's going to uh, create safety. There's just no hope. And like you said, the um, anxious avoidance is that idea of like, I want, I want relationship but there's no hope that there is. And so I freeze of, I don't pursue and I don't invite. I just kind of like 
come closer, but get away from me. So I give those mixed yeah. messages. Whereas anxious is like, come, come, come. Okay, you're not gonna come? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> and shutdown's like, no, just stay away from me. Mm. And because there's hopelessness. Yeah. Yep, that's so good. We really see um, these attachment styles as, as just strategies. Yep. Strategies that we've learned because of our story. You can connect all of them here because of our story, because of the neuroscience of our development, because of uh, how we've been regulated, related to how we've been attached to. It's all it's all connected, and it it informs us of how we should be in relationship, what mm-hmm. how we should approach relationship, and um, kind of what our deepest fears and concerns are with relationship. Our attachment yeah. style informs all of that and everything behind that our story uh informs that so absolutely okay so on another one sure we might start getting to the point where we're we've done them all okay you you can you can create some while they're in front of you rather than just picking them too oh i could i could okay so attachment again we've only done attachment once but let's see if it's a new one Oh, that's the same one, attachment and regulation. So let's try attachment and story work. Very connected. Yeah. Um, So a lot of times your insight into attachment and why your attachment is what it is comes out through stories. Um, And so story work, like I said, it, it writes down significant memories, events, hurts that have happened. And a lot of times those are a glimmer or a glimpse in behind the curtain of why you're experience why you experience relationships the way you do. And so as you write a story, it gives you you can also pay attention to what your body's doing. Oh maybe that be, might be another bring in another modality, but um but can help you be curious about what your body is doing in relationship to uh, in relationship to relationships, um, and yes, yeah, so, story work can help see how, as you work through them, see the patterns of it, of um, harm and attachment uh, interruptions, and how mm-hmm. conflict happened, and was there um, reconnecting after conflict, or was there conflict? And it was up to the child to reconnect, or is it the parents' help, or is the kid just left there um, unsafe and alone? And so those give insight into um, why you you have experienced relationships the way that that you have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny you started talking about somatic, and that is one that we haven't picked yet. So let's do somatic and. IFS. Okay. <clears throat> I appreciate you being kind to me. Mm-hmm. Those go together. I'm the friendly host. Yeah. <laughs> um, so IFS and somatics. Somatics is kind of just paying attention to the sensations and the the uh, kind of like the implicit memory of your body. What is your body remembering in and being aware of what's remembering in the moment. And so um, a lot of times parts have specific uh, memories respond specifically. Um, so maybe um, 
environment maybe is loud and overwhelming. Um, but you don't, if you, but you don't know that, but then you start pay attention. Like, um, I'm feeling something going on in my stomach or I feel tension in my shoulders. Like, why do I feel like a tension? Why do I feel so hypervigilant? And well, there's a part there that says you have to be hypervigilant in this environment. So the information that your body is giving you then can in invite you into curiosity to what is this part here? What is this part afraid of? When did this part come along into my story? Um, and that can help you also pay attention to more memories that your body may be feeling as you're like, oh, I feel anxious. Anxious in this environment, what is that? Does that help your body remember anything more? And a lot of times it kind of, your body just walks you through patiently. And, um, but there's also some resistance, maybe that this part, as you're being curious about it, your part's like, don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go there. And so you feel maybe getting angry, irritable, agitated, and your your body's no, you're noticing that your body's responding that way. So rather than getting mad at your body, it's like, okay, this part's feeling very um, protective. Mm -hmm. So let me back off. Let me help my body feel safe. Let me help them feel safe. And as we do this work, it's what is it that your body needs? It could be movement, it could be sitting, it could be breathing, it could be meditation, it could be music. And just noticing that the somatic expression is, is speaking for this part. Yes. Um, and if you can be curious about it and not shame your body or be upset with your body, how it's responding, you can talk to this part, which, and the part just wants to be heard. And so if you can notice, okay, it's reasonable that you're responding this way. Can you help me understand why you're responding this way? And it can give you insight to a lot of other modalities. So, so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is remarkable. And Richard Schwartz, the um, founder, founder of IFS, he says, um, that so many symptoms, so many physical bodily symptoms are distinct, definable, like knowable parts. Yep. And I mean, that would just, I'm just thinking about what that would sound like to like mainstream medicine. They would just be like, what the yeah. hell? But, but truly in, in application and people's like lived experience, yeah. this is so, so real. And yeah. And my, my healing and recovery process from chronic illness with over 70 plus symptoms, I can't even, I can't even articulate how many times different symptoms would come up and it would not be about that body system at all. Mm -hmm. Like it would have nothing to do with the skeletal system or the uh, endocrine system or the nervous, well, <laughs> Nervous system is kind of complicated because um, it would have something to do with the nervous system that we're speaking of. Um, you know, the symptom that it presented, the area of the body, it actually didn't have to do with that area of the body, mm -hmm. like as in that area was breaking down or diseased or something. Right. It was an opportunity for a part to communicate when it doesn't have language. And if you don't have access to these parts, they use the body. Yep. And the body will be the vessel mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It is a willing vessel mm -hmm. to bring so much physical torment to us. But the reason is not to torment. I'm saying that laughingly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm saying that because I understand it's very hard to realize how much your body's caused how much suffering but really it's just a vessel to be a voice for these parts yeah and Gabor Mate it's what you're just talking about is what Gabor Mate talks about in his book um, when the body says no like our body's always giving us messages when we're infants but our environment teaches us to either honor those that message or to dishonor it and so the more we dishonor those messages the more we have to create parts, the more the parts have to become more adaptive to eventually it's like, hey, we need to pay attention to this and heal and it, or get your needs met. Um, and it'll find a way to, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, we'll find a way to help you get your needs met. Yep. Uh, adaptively. Ooh, so much good stuff. Okay, so do you, are there any other combinations that you want to oh, touch wow. on before we go? I know you probably don't even remember all the ones we did. Right. I mean, is there another one that you want to put with attachment? I think we only did that once. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What we did attachment with regulation. Oh, we did attachment with story work. Um, yeah, I think the neuroscience and attachment would be really cool. Um I think that's a that's a place that you really love and have loved for a long time. So yeah, attachment and neuroscience. Um, so again, this goes back to childhood, infancy. Um, your your body, your brain is neurocepting. Where is safety? And where is there a lack of safety? Where is there a threat? And so it's looking for cues of safety. Uh, from the caregivers, whether it's verbally, whether it's um, comforting, whether it's getting their needs met with food. Um, Adam Young says it's not about always carrying the child, it's about carrying the child when the child needs to be carried and putting down the child when the child wants to be put down. So it's helping that, helping a child learn um, individuation um, and where safety is and where threat is and that the secure attachment that if there's threat there's somebody that will be there with you to help you through it um, mm -hmm. if there's emotions or hard emotions or disappointment you aren't have you don't have to do this alone but if there's not healthy attachment then the neuroscience says okay then we have to adapt yeah. um, we have to find another way to survive relationships aren't going to do it or relationships are only going to do it through a b c and d and so let's through an anxious attachment, make sure we hit A, B, C, or D, or through avoidant attachment, we can't depend on them, so we have to rely on ourselves. So we have to be self-sufficient, independent, um, and that's all based on yeah how our brains were wired to um, right find regulation through relationship or without relationship. Yeah, and I think it's so powerful to realize how vulnerable humans are without connection like we are not even in the western society that feels we're so individualistic yeah like we are profoundly in need of one another yeah. it is another human's body and nervous system that creates your neurodevelopment 100 
There's no other way around it. There's no, you know, the kids, the rare stories where they find children that were raised apart from humans, they, the, the very essence of what it is to be human is not there. Yeah. Um, it, it is, our brains are completely designed to be formed through healthy relationship. And so those first few years, and then even, you know, all of childhood, but those first few years are super important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the issue that the seven-year-old man is facing is not about the seven-year-old man. It's about the little child. Mm -hmm. And it's like, people may assume that's over, um, you know, just being over dramatic about that the importance of that, but it's truly, truly the neuroscience, yeah. the field of neuro, neuro interpersonal neurobiology has just exploded in the last yeah. couple of decades. And it's so remarkable how much we were made to need each other. And you and, cannot understate that right. part of development. And what you were just saying, like, compliments what I was saying, and I want to touch on that again, is as we grow up, the attachment wires our neuro, like neurobiology, which affects our neuro neuroception of how we interact with people. Like you said, a seven-year-old right. man can look at somebody and say, oh, that person's not safe. It's not because that person's not safe, it's because his story and his experience has said mm-hmm. that facial expression, that tone of voice, that environment has not been safe for you. So we need to respond this way. So it you're touching on um, mind mapping. So because our brains have to respond so quickly, neuroception happens in 0.05 seconds. So when you walk into a room before anybody says anything, you, you neurocept whether that person's being safe, is going to be safe. And that's based on your experience with your caregivers or other people. So since our bodies have to respond that quickly, it doesn't take every situation at face value. Right. It takes every situation and says, how, based on what we've experienced, what does it feel similar to? Yes. And that's how we're going to engage. That's, that's, that's how we feel like we can, that's where we are, attachment is. It's not safe, okay, we're not attaching. It's maladaptive for our social engagement network to be turned on when our bodies have experienced that it's not safe here. Right. And that all comes from attachment and how attachment wires are our um, neural networking. And then yeah. we just use that neural networking to predict and find and know how to respond in other situations. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. And that was surprising to us that the brain is predictive versus responsive. Like I always yeah. assume the brain just responded to each situation at face value, but the brain actually is a, a predictive organ. And that's saves it so much energy if it can just predict what what it needs to do it saves so much brain power and oftentimes those predictions are actually very um like we call it faulty neuroception we don't call it that it's called that uh they're 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 not accurate to the situation but it's accurate to the story that your uh that your neurology has been formed in the environment I'll bring IFS in here. Okay. Because I see this happening a lot in like marriages is there's a lot of misses in marriages. And it's like, I, I said this, so I had this tone, like I was, Mm -hmm. I wanted to connect, but because there was a part 
in the, the in the let's say the husband that says when you have this tone of voice or when they s criticize you like this it's not safe so we need to react like a firefighter may come out and say you're being a jerk get away from me i can't believe you're doing this to me and there's a huge mess there not because they don't love each other but because a misunderstanding of attachment neuro the neuroscience and the, the unawareness the, the non-awareness of the part that just became activated um like the manager couldn't help that guy not feel criticized so a firefighter had to come out and say you're the problem it's not me which creates a small misunderstanding to a big fight hurt all because it, the prediction was she's going to attack you based on our previous experiences with people like in the situation and so the faulty neuroception isn't faulty because it's broken it's faulty because it's based on um, abusive situations or and it doesn't take each relationship at face value it takes it based on previous experiences and brings that information into there um, that's why adam young says without doing your work you never experience the present as the present but only through the um lens of the yeah. past experiences yeah um because we're never actually engaging with the present if we're not dealing with it we have parts that are coming in we have neuroscience that is interacting we have attachment that's coming into it um we have dysregulation uh polyvagal aspects coming into it um uh yeah which is why the moral of the modality mashup story is do that work. Yeah. Do do your work. There's such an invitation to to bring awareness to your body, your lived experience, your felt sense, your story through doing inner work. Um, and hopefully these modalities have and and kind of mashing them up and seeing how they play together has been insightful for you as listeners and maybe even intriguing for different things that you might want to pursue in the future for ways that might really connect because some modalities just connect like like so well with some people and other people not so much but they really love another one yeah. and yeah just just that encouragement that absolutely um, healing is available and I, I what I love about this work is there is not one way to do the work. Right. Like right. some people might want to do EMDR and not really know about their parts. Someone want learning about their parts makes them want to do EMDR. Um, some of them and you don't have to do all of that. Like some people can just right. through regulation can um, heal a lot of the somatic expressions. Um, and and just knowing that there's not just talk therapy, there's a place for talk therapy and that can be very helpful, um, but that isn't just what counseling is, talk therapy. There's also a lot of other very interactive, experiential um, modalities that we use and use different ones to address different traumas, different um, heart wounds, and it's definitely, not boring <laughs> it's definitely not boring well um 
we're gonna give you a, a final grade on your <laughs> <sighs> towards the end i was like what what am i what one am i talking about <laughs> it's funny this idea came because this is like what luke and i do for fun in our free time because we're total geeks brain geeks and just want to understand it all and like when we learn something new we always you know it's what humans do you take what you know to help you understand what is new yeah. and so this is kind of a natural this so mashup I, I always do this yes, this is continual like, hey i see a part there that's dysregulating me that's touching on my attachment and i'm feeling my somatic expression over here <laughs> It's that's life in the house with Luke and Lauren. But hopefully you don't feel the need to master all of these things to become a healthy person. You do not. This is just our field. Yeah. Um, but bring but that inner curiosity to you, who you are as a person in your inner inner world is um, just a powerful, powerful way to love yourself and to move forward um, on your healing wherever you are. Absolutely. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Maybe we'll have Bethany on sometime and she can do it with us. Um, but fun. it was really fun. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next episode. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.